Our sermon this morning comes from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4, and chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. As you guys know, um, we have been going through our um, sermon series called Storied because we're storied people. We live out of stories that have been told to us. We live into the stories that inspire us, that we want to make a part of our story. If someone tells us something negative, a negative story about ourselves, we take that on and we live into that or out of it. Sometimes, often, we try to live away from that as well, um, but we are storied creatures. God tells his story about who we are as well and who he is as we interact together. And so we've been going through kind of the broad strokes of God's story, which is um, can be summarized in four terms, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. So we spent two weeks in creation, God speaking, or us being reminded of Genesis 1 and how God created things orderly and for them to be good, and he created humankind as well. That was our second week, creation of man, and that God gave us um, cultural the cultural mandate. He placed us in the garden to work it and to, to make life happen. The problem is, chapter 3 comes along, and we, we fall. We tried to put ourselves in the place of God to do life outside of where he had placed us and on the life-giving boundaries that he had given us. Last week, we talked about redemption and how Jesus came to, to give us new life and how Paul writes that we then join in with this ministry of reconciliation, that through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, that we have new life in him. And he is able to, um, the fall kind of brought in sin and the separation from being uh, in close communion with God. And Christ allows us to join back in with God and to be a part of his story as well. And then this week we come to consummation, the last um, chapter, if you will, of God's story but it's actually a beginning as well. 
We have goal-oriented people in the room. Anyone? Anyone? Write down goals. What you want to accomplish? Good for you. Uh, that <laughs> I write down to dos. I should probably put put those into goals. Does anybody have goal lists that they want to accomplish right now? There's something you want to work on, Woody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very good goal to have. Yes, yes. Anyone else? Yeah. <laughs> Nick, do you have goals as a three? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was this last Friday. Okay, all right. <laughs> that is a big goal to have. Any other goals? Any other goal-oriented people? Well, I started physical therapy this week, and one of the questions um, Allison, my uh, doctor, uh, asked uh, was, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to be able to get back to? And what I think she's trying to say is, what goals do you have? And she, if she had asked that, I probably wouldn't have been able to answer that because I don't, I don't think of, of things as goals necessarily. But goals um, aren't endings, Goals are just beginnings. We don't get to a goal and we say, okay, we're done. Sometimes that's, they, they have a natural terminus to them, but often they are just the starting point for what life can look like. For me, going through the physical therapy, she said it's going to be about six to eight weeks before you actually see progress take place. But it's not as if things are going to finish at that point. It's actually I'm going to be able to experience life even more fully at that point when we reach that goal. The word goal in Greek is telos. And at the on the cross, Jesus says, Tetelestai. That the translation of that is it is finished. Life didn't cease to exist. We're still living post um, cross and resurrection. But God, Jesus said, what I have come to do has been done. Let us live into this resurrection life either. See, I think goals imply purpose that we have. They tell us what we are living for and what we want to get out of life. And here in verse 3, God says, My goal for creation is that God and humanity would dwell together. We saw that at the very beginning when God and humankind were in the garden together, and that was lost. And so he sent his son, after many, many years, he sent his son to regain that. And we are still living into that fullness of being able to dwell with God, humanity and God together once again. And he says, at the end of all things, when we meet our goal, it's just going to be a beginning, and we will live together in this new heaven and new earth. It's God regaining his design of what he wanted in uh, the garden in the beginning. And he says, I'm going to do that through two things. I'm going to do that through a city and in a garden. I'm going to put a garden in a city. It's not Garden City, Kansas. Don't, don't, I hope you don't have that in your mind. It's very different from that. If you've been there, I had a family that, that lived there. Um, garden City is neither a garden nor a city. But what God says is that he will bring a garden and a city into this place. He says a city 
I think, because city is a natural human innovation that we do. When we begin to innovate, when we begin to, to gather together, we begin to build a city right away. There are great cities in this world where art and architecture and food culture and creative people come to be able to make much of themselves and much of uh, the 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 gifting that they've been given as well. Humans come together and they make cities. But cities are also a place where sin festers, where there's so much more, there's there's a, uh, a proximity to be able to get what we want. We can go to cities and we can be absolutely anonymous as well. In Genesis 4, we read of Cain. After he kills uh, his brother Abel, he flees to the cities so that he can find refuge in them. In Genesis 11, after the flood, people come together to build the Tower of Babel, and they say, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's be like God. This is also what people do in cities. But this is not the city that we read of in this passage, in this new creation. Verse 2 says, a, a holy city. I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. This is a city that is holy. Holiness in Scripture is the highest virtue, and it's purposed by God. Holiness is not a, an ethical um, or behavioral term. It is being set aside. It is being like God himself. God is His highest attribute is holiness. And it's a new Jerusalem because Jerusalem was thought of the place where God would dwell. And finally, we're beginning to see God is saying that I will come and dwell with my people. But it's not a place where sin festers. It's not a place where we can go to be anonymous. It says it is prepared as a bride, a virgin city coming down from the heavens, a place without blemish. And then God says, I will reinstate what I wanted to happen from the very beginning. Verses 3 and 4, it says that he, um, that God will be, that he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The former things have passed away. I love this, this progression from like, I'm going to wipe away every tear. There's going to be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And all things are going to be passed away. It almost feels like he's going like, um, there's no more death. And then like the big thing. And then there's no more mourning. And then you're not even going to cry. You won't even feel pain. And God will be there in your midst. The former things, those things that we experience here and now, the pain and the suffering will no longer be here. In verse 5, just after this uh, passage, um, the echoes of last week when God says, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. This is creation being reconstituted. Reconstitution uh, immediately reminds me of like things that have been dehydrated, whether it's Gatorade or MREs or... Um, Tang, 
right? Taking Tang into space. Like we take these things and we dehydrate them. We take them of all out of all their body and substance. And then we, when we mix them with water, we are able to uh, enliven their full potential again. We can we can um, have them at their full power. And what God says is, I am reconstituting you. You are the foundations of the city. You are what make this city shine to reflect my glory in this place. And uh, part of the passage that we skip over, God describes the 12 stones that make up the city. Those 12 stones are precious stones. They're certainly beautiful on their own, but stones are beautiful and precious because of how they reflect the light that is poured out upon them. God says, I am your light. You will reflect me in my glory. We are able to be fully reconstituted in this place, full of potential of life-giving power. And this is not just a future reality, but this is one that we can live into now. Denver is a great city. Uh, This is a wonderful city that's been founded um, I can't. I forgot my history on it, but many, many years ago, you know, like almost 200 years ago or so, and it was always a place that people could escape to and still be safe. We do this still. We're not quite going into the mountains, but we're near the mountains. Midwesterners can come here and feel like, oh, we can still get back home if we need to, but we're still kind of pioneers because we're into the West, right? We still have this Uh, feeling of Denver as well. And I think there are two ways that we can view Denver. We can view it just as an escape. It is a hard city to live in. It's incredibly transient. Um, Friends of mine that are pastors downtown, um, they see people, their whole church turn over about every two to three years. It's extremely transient, even more transient than some parts of, of New York as well. Or we can use it as an escape hatch to get away from life. So we're not digging into where we are here, but we're going to the mountains. I see this reel all the time on Instagram of what is it like to live in Denver? And it's these people like taking train rides and going on hikes and fishing and skiing and doing all these really touristy things in the mountains that look fun. I mean, it looks amazing. But if this is how you spend your weekend and when you live in Denver every weekend, that is not living in Denver. That is using Denver as an outpost to be able to just enjoy and escape life. I think the other way to view it is to excavate, to dig in deep. Because, again, we are a Western city. We are very individual. We have come here as pioneers uh, to be able to um, make life on our own, to make it on our own, and it takes a long time to get to know people, and you have to dig in. You have to get your hands dirty. You have to get your hands into the soil. What are the needs of those around you, your neighbors that live near you? What are they going through? In a place like this, in kind of a suburban area, we have to dig in deep. We have to get deep into people's relationships because their needs are hidden. We can walk through, the, we can uh, go into our homes and we can hide behind these beautiful facades and these houses here. But we need to dig into the needs of those around us. I look at our neighborhood and as soon as we get out, so like the King Supers that's right over here at Hamden and 25, now locks their bathroom door. 
so that no one can go in and use it because the city and the homelessness that used to maintain itself downtown, quote-unquote, maintain itself downtown, has moved down into our neighborhood. People are very worried about it. There's a safety issue, but there's also a great need. And I don't know what to do. Something I've prayed about, something that I've noticed, something how I've interacted with um, some of the people who are asking for cigarettes or money or whatever. But it breaks my heart to see these people uh, in need. So I think one of the things that we can do is just pray. Pray for how we as a church, as small as we are, but how God longs to be able to use us in this place, how we can join God in his work, how we can reconstitute what he is doing in this place, how we can be a part of the water of life that he pours out into uh, this neighborhood and the neighborhoods that he has us in. God brings us into a new city where he is at the center. What is it like, though, for God to dwell in a place? It's like a garden. This fullness of life that he brings is reconstituted by him bringing his abundant life. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 22, right? The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, and also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. This is an abundant life. We Gardens are abundant life kind of place if you walk through the Botanic Garden, or even if you have a little garden in your backyard. If you're driving through a city and suddenly you come upon an urban garden or a place where there's just a park and fullness of plant life, you pause and you look to see what is going on there. This river of life, again, shows God taking the chaoticness of water and bringing life out of it, giving it boundaries so that it flows through the middle of the city from the throne of God. God gives life, and life centers in God, um, in the city, and it flows out from him as well. It says it flows through the middle of the street of the city, and on either side of it, spanning. And I love just love that image of this tree spanning uh, this river. There's a tree of life. Again, looking back to Genesis 2 and 3 of how God created the world in the beginning. And it yields its fruit each month. The leaves are there for the healing of the nations. Well, I thought you said, Mark, that there would be no more tears or pain or uh, sickness or death. Well, this stands as a juxtaposition for how we experience life in cities now, how we experience um, the divisions of neighborhoods, of um, people being against one another, everyone fighting for their own needs. This is a reminder that God brings life and he gives life so that we, as how we normally experience cities of people being, excuse me, being against one another over and over and over again, God says, I will heal that division in my city. You will not experience that. It brings unity to the disparate groups of people who are often at odds with one another in cities. I mean, you maybe see the tree of life here, but well, the tree that we don't see is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
God says nothing in this city will be a curse. This is a reversal of the curse of Genesis 3. There will be fullness of life. There will be no more night. There will be no more need of extra light because God will shine forth and give his life and light to uh, um, through... Uh, I can't read my writing. To the city through his garden throne as he sits in the middle of it, he will bring light and life to it. If you've ever planned a garden, you know the number one thing you have to do is watch where the light shines in your yard throughout the day. If we put a garden out front where north-facing, um, we have that little garden there. We didn't put that there. I wouldn't have put that there. But uh, if we tried to put a garden out there, it wouldn't have worked. So we put it right on the back of the house where there's sun all the time. We planned a garden in St. Louis, and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put it over on the side of the yard next to where the garage is so that it's out of the way and uh, it doesn't interfere with us being able to use the rest of the yard. What I didn't realize is that that spot was shaded most of all of the day. It got like maybe three hours of sun. I got a little bit of plants, but they grew, the tomato vines grew super high and they never ripened. So I pulled like five pounds of green tomato, uh, cherry tomatoes off in November in St. Louis. In Atlanta, I wanted to put a garden in, but our backyard was full shade all the time. And that's where I wanted to put the garden. And I didn't want to put it in the front where it was full sun all the time. So I never ended up putting a garden in there. Finally, when we got here, I said, ah, I can put one right there up against the house, not in the middle of everything. Now we want to take the whole, like that whole section of the backyard though, and plant a garden there. Um, but it needs light. You can have soil. That's not great. That's Denver. Soil is not awesome here. But if you have light that, that, feeds these plants, you will have an abundance of crop. God's uh, nearness in the garden city will bring an abundant, uh, bring abundant life in him. I think this implies that there will still be work to do in heaven. No bummer, right? Like, kind of hope that it was retirement and we just relax. Um, it says we will worship him, and how we worship God is through serving him. But there will not be toil like there is now. There will be abundance of life. God's original intention in the garden in Genesis was for the man and the woman to cultivate and bring life. And in this revelation uh, image that we have, life will be cultivated so much so that it bears fruit every month. We see the seeds, the, the, the fruit of the work that God gives us. Again, I think this is the call for us to be cultivating God's life-giving reign here and now. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about seeing the gardens to cultivate in the place where God has put us, um, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our communities where we are, in our families. But I also want to emphasize the garden that God has created in each and every one of us. St. Teresa um, wrote this amazing book um, called The Interior Castle, in which she uses um, the metaphor of these dwelling places to be able to enter into our own life and how God is creating us and dwelling in us. She says the first dwelling place is a garden. 
to go in and to see what God is doing in our own lives. It's a place of wonder and delight in who God has made you and how he has made you. God has put his image in each and every one of you. He's planted a garden that can be cultivated that will yield fruit in its season. There's always going to be weeds in our lives. But what I want us to do is to see what God has planted in our lives. See how he has gifted us and how he has called us. When I'm weeding my garden, I pull the weeds out and I chuck them aside. I don't pay attention to what they are the majority of the time. I'm just getting rid of them in my life. But what I take care of, what I... Um, I ponder over what I relish in is the the sorrel with its deep red um, veins in the in its in the green leaves or the thyme or the tomatoes or the um, uh, the the chives. I grow a lot of herbs, so um, those are the places where I spend my time looking at what they are doing. What is God cultivating in you? What are you curious about yourself? What fruit do you want God to bear in your life? What would you like to see him bring about? What would you like to cultivate in who you are and how God is working in your life? I think the best way to be connected to God's life-giving river of life is to be in his story to read his scripture. That is what we've done. We've done a huge overview of what he has done, this, this book that we have. But to sit and read. You don't have to study deeply. You don't have to know Greek. You don't have to be able to parse out um, the words, but to read it and to get it in you so that you can see what God is doing, how he is at work in your life, how he will open your eyes to what he wants to do both in you and in the place where he has put you as well. Read God's story. Get it in you. Verses 5 and 6 of chapter 21 that I don't have printed for you. Reads, And he who was seated on the throne said, God himself, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. As I said on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished to tell us thy this is a different word, though. It sounds so similar to what he said he has done. But instead of it is finished, he says it is done, meaning it has been accomplished. Here, the, the literal translation could be it has come into existence. It is being, it has been made. The goal God was after from the beginning meets with a new beginning. And in the end, we find ourselves dwelling with God, with the Lamb at his center. It is a new beginning, one that brings life, one that can be, uh, that we can have here and now. This is God's story. Let's live into it together. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for um, 
uh, for you, for you continually pursuing us, continually pursuing your creation so that we uh, could not only know the love uh, that you have for us, that we could experience um, it through your people in this life-giving uh, place um, called the church, that you sent your Son to call together to be a community of the new heavens and new earth now. Lord, we pray that we here at the table would be a reflection of that, um, inviting people into this life that you have for us, dwelling in your story, um, eating at your table, and being with you so that we can be uh, life-giving people as well in the places where you have planted us. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.